Hey there, I'm Stevie, a musician from New York City and the host of This Next Song's About. This is a podcast for songwriters and music fans alike. Today, I chat with Esabalu, also known as Jen Mundia. Jen and I were supposed to meet in person last March at a songwriter show I was producing in New York at the famed Rockwood Music Hall. Sadly, the show was cancelled, the pandemic engulfed us, and Esabalu has since moved to LA to pursue her music career, but we were able to meet virtually for this podcast and it was a real joy to talk to her. Esabalu is an LA-based artist with Kenyan roots. She's a graduate of Berkeley College. You may have seen her on late night shows like SNL, Jimmy Fallon and Seth Meyers, backing up artists like Casey Musgraves, and her music has just been picked up by Ulta Beauty for their ads. In this episode, we take a visual look at Esabalu's video, Wildfire. The link for the video is in the show notes, and I strongly suggest you go check it out and then come back to the podcast. Or if you want to watch the full interview, you can see the unedited version in our Facebook group, This Next Song's About Dash Inner Circle. We also talk about her journey to finding her new moniker as Esabalu, embracing her Kenyan roots, and taking time as a musician to process the events of the Black Lives Matter movement through storytelling and songwriting with her single, Say Their Names. This was such a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Jen Mundia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. We were supposed to meet (laughs) (laughs) about this time last year, I think. Yeah, I guess it was supposed to, it was going to be the next show. (laughs) Yes, it was. Well, yes, it was was the next show. And unfortunately, it wasn't our last because the one before that was our last. But yeah, I was very upset that we had to obviously postpone that show. And at, at the time we thought, cool, we'll postpone it a month or two. Little did we know. And obviously things have changed dramatically in the last year. You have also moved to L.A., so congratulations on your move. That's very exciting. How long were you in New York before you moved? It's a complicated question. Um, I was there for, let's say, eight years, but I actually moved to New York right after college for a couple of years, and then I left for five, and then I came back for eight. So I'm 65 years old. <laughs> so a long-distance, intermittent love triangle relationship with the city isn't it literally (laughs) and there was you know there was the actual fake romance in between and all of that all that stuff so yeah New York is definitely some place I never thought I'd go back to it's like leaving school when you think oh I'm Mm -hmm. gonna leave college I'll never come back I've never thought I'd come back and then literally I moved back so fast that my friends thought that I was visiting for the weekend (laughs) (laughs) I said the thing about like my apartment they're like what do you mean I was like yeah I moved here (laughs) Brilliant. Do you miss it at all? Because you said you moved in September of 2020. Yeah, I do. You know, when I missed it was the election was elect, uh, the day that we found out that Joe Biden was president because I'm in Inglewood. So I'm not like near I'm not downtown L.A. or anything. Mm-hmm. So my roommate and I were like celebrating just the two of us in our apartment. <laughs> and I was watching everybody's Instagram stories of like the madness in the streets. And I was like, dang, that was the first time I really missed New York. Yeah, I mean, Being here, it was just this huge, I mean, I'm sure people have told you, but the relief and just emotional release of it all was crazy. Everyone felt it and literally everyone kind of went out onto the streets and it kind of felt like the end. You know, do you remember those pictures of like the end of World War II? And like there's that beautiful picture in Times Square and it's probably some sailor assaulting some young woman by kissing her. That's probably how we would view it now. (laughs) But you you kind of excuse it because it was just sort of that joyous. I was jealous. <laughs> Not of the sailor woman. 
You mean of her too? Yeah. Okay, sure, fine. I'd like a big fat kiss. <laughs> so, uh, that's why I have dogs. Um, so we're going to talk about your single wildfire. Mm-hmm. Super excited to talk about it. So mm-hmm. when did you release wildfire? I believe it was May. <laughs> 2020 times blurring may or june <laughs> it was the first single that you released under your new were we calling it a pseudonym yeah that's a very fancy word but yes that's what we would call it or a moniker Ooh, yeah i'll, I'll yeah i can't spell either of those words so you know whichever <laughs> one as long as we're just talking about it I can't spell either of them either um <laughs> and your your uh moniker is esabalu mm-hmm. esabalu right? yes esabalu yes Thank you. Yeah, Sorry. we talked about we talked about emphasis. It's you know it's all good. Yes, Esabalu. <laughs> now I'm underlining the A. Um, so what what made you decide to pick a new moniker and and start releasing music under that? I had planned to do that before COVID, and I had this name in my mind, and my producer and I were talking about it, and it was going to be Siren with a Y. And I was like, no one else has that name. And I looked up on Spotify and I was like, no one has that name. And so for somehow, some reason, I didn't see it. And then, of course, I went back like two months later and there's a million sirens, of course, female singers, you know what I mean? And then, you know, he was down, he liked it, but I was just like, oh, this isn't going to work. And then by the time I was trying to change over, um, because my idea in my mind was that I would just be kind of starting fresh, starting with a new idea, creating this new body of work. Because Jen Mundia is attached to many things. Like I used to work at Olive Garden in Times mm-hmm. Square. I used to work at Best Buy. I have a LinkedIn profile. You know, it's just attached to so many things. I've had a million jobs and uh, done a lot of things. And I'm proud of those things. But I think in terms of yeah. my artistry, it was kind of time to like go full in into, you know, it sound, it's funny because it's like almost me going fully into myself, but calling myself something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of, thought about it for a while I meditated on it and that name came to me so this Esabalo is the village where my grandmother lives my dad's mom and so I called my mom because we're very close and I was like can I use that name what do you think and I was jazzed about it and then she's like you gotta ask your dad because that's his mom you know what I mean and I was like because <laughs> my dad I don't even talk like that and so I like called him a few days later and I was like what do you think and we talked for like a couple of hours and he told me and I took all these notes he was telling me I like learned more about my family history in Kenya than I had ever learned oh, wow. and so it was kind of like a connection point for him and I when we don't really like we talk about the weather you know what I mean mm. and so it was really cool to just like talk to him and have him be really excited to share that with me and like it kind of made me feel I know I know this is right now like it's all kind of sinking into place and a lot of things that have come about since I started that pseudonym have felt really kismet. Like they felt like they just kind of fell into place. And that just has been indicative of like the first moment that I started the name. Mm, it's funny sometimes when you do something like that, which is really kind of coming into yourself and you hadn't maybe, I don't want to say dared to do it, but you hadn't, maybe there was something holding you back from doing that before. And now you've like fully embraced it. And suddenly all of these opportunities are popping up and yeah. presenting themselves to you. Yeah. Which is, and that's the sort of the universe. It's the universe, baby. And like, you know, I think with me, Jen Mandia was kind of like, I can always stop because I'm always going to be Jen Mandia. That's on my birth certificate, you know? But like when you, when you, when you pick a different name, it's like, this is a thing, right? And, and people, mm. even like we had this conversation before we started taping, you were like, what should I call you? Like people really will step into it. Like I had an, an, a podcast interview back when Wildfire was brand new and he just immediately called me Asabalu. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, like I can do this, you know? 
Um, so that's kind of even when you said, what do you want me to call you? I was like, let's, let's talk about it because like, I'm not lying to anybody that as if I'm not Jen anymore. It's just, this is something mm. else that I'm doing. And like, we, I can step into that when I want to. It's interesting until we just talked about this, I hadn't even put it together. So I changed my name to Stevie. Uh-huh. So I was formerly known as Steph previously on the podcast. I've been known as Steph and I have decided, mm. you know, to embrace a non-binary uh, existence and I've gone with Stevie. Love it. And it's, when I said it's interesting what happens and how more comfortable and authentic you feel in that name I hadn't actually put that together that that was exactly the same thing that you did but yet with an artist name yeah I love that parallel when did you decide to make that change very recently yeah you feel good about it (laughs) I do I feel really good about it it's not everywhere yet I started thinking about it maybe a year ago yeah and just had analysis paralysis of God, where do I start with this? Do I start it on Instagram? Do I start it on Facebook? Like, yeah. You know? Oh my gosh. Yes. You get it. <laughs> were you, were you scared? Terrified, utterly yeah. terrified. The funny thing was I had a conversation. This is turning into it being about me. This is not about me. Cause I'm in, I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm very intrigued. And I want to know. <laughs> the fun, I think the funny thing was I had a conversation with my dad and I was very nervous to talk to my dad about it because Stephanie was a parallel. Yes, the parallels, right? (laughs) But Stephanie was a name Uh that he and my mom had chosen for me. And stupidly, I felt by choosing a different name for myself that I was somehow rejecting a choice that they had made for me. And, you know, to some extent, in some weird way, you know, a life choice that they had made for me. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, telling my dad was I I was so nervous about it. And then eventually I got to a place where I was like, no, I can I can tell him. And he was brilliant. It was really funny. Mm -hmm. He, uh, I think I, I told him about, you know, about my, my identity first. And then he called me up the next week and said, what should I call you? I'm going to cry. It was adorable. <laughs> that's the, that's the whole thing of, you know, if somebody identifies in a different way as you do, what should I yeah. call you? Or, you know, what yeah. do you prefer to be called? And like, it's, it's, it's really nice when somebody asks that. I think yeah. there's always, for me, there's always a, oh, I feel seen moment. With yes. It. Yes. Mm. Yes. And you, and it's funny, like what people slip into, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Automatically. Like if somebody didn't really know you and they came on and they would just like call you Stevie because they saw it on the screen. Like it's just interesting what people will slip into once you are comfortable. It's all about you really. Mm. Right. Like you make that decision and then people follow suit. But if you aren't fully there, then like you're not really allowing other people to be right. Exactly. So I, lo- I love that. I love the I love the parallels. The universe is talking. <laughs> <laughs> she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um I love that and I think you should go by Esabalu but you know from, from now on okay. forevermore but okay. um but anyway no it is <laughs> <laughs> but this is your choice and you make your decisions um yeah. so tell me about wildfire tell me about the, the the story behind the song first of all yeah so wildfire was written by me and Brandon John who also produced it and our friend Eric Penn um both amazing songwriters and great great guys and um I started writing with them a few years ago and now it's been probably like three or four years. And I remember a friend, a friend linked me with, with uh, Eric specifically. And he was like, you got to meet my friend, but you know how it is. You've been playing music for a long time. People always be like, you got to meet my friend. They play music. And like, they're, you know, you never know what you're going to run into. Right. And maybe I shouldn't be so cynical, but like <laughs> people could be, you know, like you could be like, Oh, that's really nice that they play music on the side. Right. Yeah. But like as somebody who's kind of dedicated their life to music, it's it's like not you just never know what you're going to get. And it's also really hard. It's like creating a relationship. Right. So even if that person's very musically mm. talented, you never know if you're going to gel. 
And then on top of that, there's working with men. And generally men are very, um, I don't even know the word to use, but they act like they do in any professional situation where they own the stage. They're there. You're like just working with them and it's not, you know. And so I really was mm-hmm. nervous about all those things to the point where like, I'm not, I'm never late. I was late. I came, I like wasn't prepared to like, and I watched these guys write a song in like four minutes. And I was like, oh, cool. When did you guys write that song? And they were like, right now. And I was like, right. And so then I just became really, really nervous. And the other thing that I love about them is they all complimented me. Like it was Brandon, Eric and our friend Bruce. And then like a couple other guys, like, you know, people bring an entourage to the studio. And they all were like, I love heads or tails. I love that. They were like complimenting my songs, complimenting my voice. They're like, your voice is so dope. And that's just not something you see. I don't care who, like what gender, whatever, like people just because of their insecurities, they don't come into a room complimenting you anymore. That's just not a thing. And so immediately I was just felt warm and at home with them. And so Eric, mm-hmm. Brandon, and I wrote that song. And then Brandon and I started working together a few months later. And that's when we wrote Dream You, which is the second single that I put out. And um, like soon after, I guess this is now right before the pandemic, we were finishing, finishing up Wildfire, <laughs> not knowing mm-hmm. what was going to happen. So I finished the vocals for that on my own in my home studio in New York. And I just said, this is like an 80s bop. Mm. so what like it doesn't go with anything else that I've written so let's just release a single and it was under Esabali where I decided I was like we're doing this and I told the guys and they were like cool no problem once again like we just talked about everybody was on board right and I told them I was like hey do you mind if we release this under Esabalu? like tag everything as Esabalu, da, 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 da. they were all on board we talked about this as well that um it's hard to get people to transfer over. Like I had to post things to Jen Mandia and people still wanted to follow <laughs> me there I got the most views there whatever it's fine but yeah, we, we basically wrote this 80s bop and decided to, to release it as a single and it did pretty well for me to be releasing it on my own. And, um, and, and then I, I made a, a quarantine music video that I think we're going to check out later. So that it was just like a really fun experience. And it was a really fun thing to do in quarantine because we were just all kind of pulling our hair out and going a little crazy. And I had this project to like sink myself into. How long did this video take you? Because you, you've got four or five different sets of settings you in different <laughs> outfits doing different things. Yeah, it was crazy. My friend and I were just talking about this because he wants to do some stop motion. And he mm. was like, how'd you do this? I have an app. And I was like, no, I did that all in like iMovie, <laughs> uh, like one shot at a time. Um, yeah, so I basically took my notebook that has like everything and it has like my journaling, it has my songwriting, it has like when I like stream church, it has when I like take notes for like on like seminars. And I just started writing like a, I don't know what you would even call it because I'm not an actual filmmaker, but I guess like, yeah, storyboard. Yeah, exactly. And so I started drawing. I'm a terrible artist, like visual artist. And I started drawing like, oh, here's me on the bed. And I'm like, you know, filing my nails and here's like Legos and here's me on the couch. And then also I started filming and then my roommate at the time what left for like a week. And so I was like, ooh, I could do some kitchen shots. Then I started filming more. <laughs> I had, I ordered all these wigs. I've never worn wigs in my life. I ordered wigs from the internet. It was like stressful because it's like, oh my God, when is it going to come? These are like $6 wigs, like real shake and go. And um, yeah, it was just like super fun, pretty cheap to do. And I just kept like kind of adding. I did the stop motion Lego thing. And then I was like, no, it's not good enough. And then I just like spent another four hours the next day doing it again. So yeah, it was just like, like I said, it was a great project for what, May, like when mm-hmm. we were still kind of like, how long is this going to last? And we were going a little stir crazy. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the vibe. We weren't COVID fatigued at that point. We were like, oh, I could just, I could do a few things just to keep me, keep yes. me tied over. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I love the, the, the description of it. It's an exciting journey into the past, forgetting about your cares and diving headfirst into a steamy summer of love. Now, it's one of those where we all <laughs> laugh at what we, what we write, but like, I do love that because you've given me the sort of like past 80s vibe. It's very much, you know, got that love <laughs> feel about it. But the video, and we'll, we'll take a watch in just a second. Yeah. But I kind of get such a self-love, self-care feeling mm-hmm. from it. So it's, it's mm-hmm. curious that you're like, you know, di- you know the, the, the song is sort of about diving into a love experience. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that I'm interpreting yeah. most of the video, it's hard because it goes on. There's a few kind of different <laughs> yeah. streams to it. But I, I do think there's sort of a lot of like self-love that you're putting in there. Yeah, I originally had an opening scene where I was on the phone with somebody and I just decided not to do it. I was I don't know if it was like I thought it was too corny or I kind of want the song kind of hits you right away with like the tom drums and you're just feeling 80s right away. So I didn't really want people to have to wait for that. And so I cut that scene. And so I don't know how coherent the storyline is, but it definitely ended up being just like a fun self-care moment. And also, I hate bios because really, I don't know if people know this about artists, but you have to write your own bios. So like all the shit that you hear when somebody's like introducing you, (laughs) that person wrote it. And it's so annoying because you're like have to brag about yourself. It's like, you have to give people what you think they want to hear, but you also like are just like, am I really saying this shit about myself? Steamy summer love, like whatever. But it's like, you know, what, what would I say? <laughs> Comedians do their own walk-ups. I guess. It's no different. Please welcome. It. <laughs> it's no different. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's, t- let's take a watch of the video.
love that 80s guitar like at the end bj brown downtown bj brown shout out (laughs) but we were like messaging whilst that was playing and like i kept giggling like the more i watch it the more i giggle through it like you're just having so much fun for real i had a lot of fun and it was funny because you know how i'm sure you've done like videos here and there and Mm. it takes a long time to edit a video and so you have to watch things over and over and over again and it was i still i laughed like on time 100 i laughed it was like so much fun to make. <laughs> I I hate doing videos. I always feel so awkward doing them. But I think when I'm doing it, doing something for myself, I'm not judging myself quite as much. So it's somehow slightly easier. Did you find that? Yeah. I mean, you're singing to a pan. You're doing like your 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 glute bridges. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love a glute bridge. Oh, yes. Glute bridges. <laughs> oh, so painful. <laughs> and you're just making fun of yourself a little bit. Oh my God, a hundred percent, like all day. Yeah. And I just kind of wanted to be silly and cute. And I had never really done anything like that before. And it was just so fun. Like I don't, like I said, don't wear wigs. And it was like, we're in the middle of this pandemic. I put on fake lashes in my apartment. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just like over the top fun. Oh, I've done catwalk shows for myself. (laughs) I've awarded myself Grammys on a Saturday night after a few gin and tonics. I'm not judging. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, not only Grammys. I think I won an Oscar. Wow. You were yeah. going for that EGOT. <laughs> the apartment EGOT. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There were one or two things that I just wanted to point out. There was a couple. You, you put on a couple of T-shirts during that video. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one is uh, a quote by Issa Rae, rooting for everybody black. And the other one is very black and very proud could probably say that one of those by itself could just be your favorite t-shirt, but two of them together, I think there's a message. Yeah. I mean, the first message was Issa Rae, call me. I want to be your friend and I want you to put my music <laughs> in your show because shout out to Issa Rae. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if it was necessarily like a I'm black and I'm proud, like in terms of a political statement, but it was more, I think part of it was representing these black owned businesses that are selling these this apparel so I could tag them and people could potentially buy. But also, yeah, that's something that's I am proud of being black and here I am being black in my apartment and being ridiculous. So here's a message about it, you know? Yeah. It was beautiful black woman just owning her music and her stuff and just loving it. It's cool. Boom. I love that's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to ask a question about obviously 2020 and social justice, but with regard to music. And I just want to ask whether has anything changed for you in terms of some of the things that you have been asked to do music wise, whether there have been like virtual shows that you've done or anything that you've been asked to get involved in? And has that felt different for you in a positive way or? Yeah, I mean, shows are limited because of the pandemic, mm. but I did, you know, obviously see an uptick. It was kind of like July or whenever George Floyd was murdered was like Black History Month again. 
where everybody's like, mm-hmm. can you play this? And can you do this? And you want to talk about this? And which was like, you know, I had to just give myself the grace to be able to say no. And I, I'm a Virgo. So I feel like I don't generally, I, I'm not opposed to stacking my schedule and saying yes to everything. And I can take on it all, you know, apparently. And um, <laughs> that was a month where I decided to, you know, say no to some people and and not even if I felt, oh, I'm being used in this way, but just more like I am allowed to say no, you know, with who I'm working with, with what I'm, what I'm putting my energy towards, with who I feel like is pandering towards me. Um, And I think that that is not something that I regret because, you know, at the end of the day, like that's not my work to do. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody's asking me to do a show because they want to make themselves feel better about their lineup, then that's like not really my work to do. Like, even if I do want to represent black people well and I know that what I do I do well Mm. it's other people's turn to kind of step up to the plate and you know make things right within themselves whether that's like internal work or how they represent themselves good answer and I'm glad that you felt you you can say no I think having the ability within yourself to say no is hugely important and gives you that space to step back and recharge after everything that happened last year it must have been, mm-hmm, you know, nice mm-hmm. to just be like, actually, I, I need mm-hmm, to take time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting because I feel like, you know, like I said, I was in New York for eight years and there's been lots of Black Lives Matter protests. And I had a lot of white friends that never came with me. And then I saw them on the street, you know, in the summer. And I was like, OK, like, that's cool. I, I and that was I talked to my therapist about it. I was feeling really terrible because I was like, I'm not ready to go outside like that in a group yet. And I think the numbers showed because it was all outdoor protests um, that they didn't skyrocket at that time, thankfully. But I was very anxious and I felt terrible because I was like, I should be out there, but I'm not ready. And she was like, you know, she told me that I could be a storyteller, you know what I mean? And use my voice. And that was helpful. And I, but a good friend of mine ended up creating a project about allies. So she interviewed not out yet which is interesting because we did this back in the summer but she interviewed four four white men in the music industry and um just kind of talked about like their position being in and they're specifically in hip-hop so their position and maybe like the roles that they've taken over their careers and this is like famous djs and all this stuff and i created a song for it. brandon and i again created a song for that called say their names i'm really proud of that song and we ha- since the project hasn't been released yet that's out on spotify and all that good stuff but i haven't really done any promotion for it because I'm kind of like I want to honor that project um before you know you know kind of releasing it out into the world fully and that was really therapeutic that was one of those moments where I like lit candles in my room and like had a good cry and you know it's weird because like she is working on this creative project so she was giving me notes and we were both kind of like feeling a little weird about it as black women where we're like giving we're both professionals right so she's giving me as a creative director and as somebody who does a lot of ad work she's giving me notes on this thing that's like right. kind of both breaking our hearts you know um so yeah that was kind of one of the things that helped me release and when my therapist was like you can be a storyteller that helped me put that into that project and you know I think those things kind of bring they come out as they can right like even the name Esabalu like I remember I went to Kenya in 2012 and I was like this trip is going to mean something to me and I just can't process it all right now and I've spent years thinking like when is this going to meet like I knew it was important we my siblings and I cried a lot it had been so many years since we'd been home and but I just I just thought like okay I guess that just was what it was you know and then all of a sudden in 2020 this name comes to me and all these things come to me and all my family like when these songs get released and they see how well they're doing 
my family in Kenya is like, you're doing the Sabalu name proud? Like, do you know what I mean? And so that's kind of like what I feel about Say Their Names, where it's like, that came when it needed to come, right? And and even if it, no one else ever hears it or whatever, it's it was very important to me. And that's like, I think kind of the thing, it's this, these, these things that are happening right now are less about me being performative and more about me just expressing myself when I need to. Yeah. I mean, as, as artists, we are the storytellers, right? Mm-hmm. And leaning into that as a way of processing is exactly. so helpful. Just on that. So you went yeah. to Berkeley f- to study music and in your bio that you wrote yourself, um, <laughs> Hate it. You, you know that you're an audio producer as well. Um, what's it? I mean, did you train to be an audio producer or was it, what was the trajectory? So, you know, it's all, it all ties in, you know, that's how life works. So I always sang, I wanted to sing, I wanted to, I was originally going to go to college for musical theater because I was in North Carolina and that's really all there was um, in terms of being a professional like opera or theater. And I loved it. I loved theater. I was in musicals in high school and I enjoyed that. Um, But then my friend went to Berkeley summer program the summer before our senior year. And she was like, Jen, you gotta go to Berkeley, you gotta like check out Berkeley. I didn't even, I haven't even heard of it, you know, cause I'm like 16 from North Carolina, like a small little town called Apex. And I just really didn't, I know, you know, a lot of music musicians grow up knowing about Berkeley and dreaming about Berkeley, but I didn't know about it. And so Kyla went to Berkeley summer program five weeks, which is funny because later when I went to Berkeley, I was an RA for the five week program and took care of those little kids. Um, but she was like, you gotta go to Berkeley. Like you just sing and you like create songs with people and da da da, all this stuff. And so I looked it up and I went and I auditioned for like theater programs in North Carolina. And then I somehow got on a plane to Boston, even though my parents had no money and I auditioned or I went to audition and I got snowed out. (laughs) So then my parents had to come with more money to get me on another plane a few months (laughs) later to audition. Berkeley gave me like six cents towards my tuition. I was like so excited that I got a scholarship, but like in the grand scheme of how expensive Berkeley is, it was basically nothing, which is fine. I felt Mm. like somebody just forgetting something. And I went, yeah. And so my thought in my mind was, I can't go to school for performance because the school is so expensive. And so I went and I was like, I'm going to study audio engineering. And Berkeley at the time, I don't know what it is now, but it was 24% female. And the audio engineering program was like, I mean, it like four women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was going to say in terms of women in audio production, I think the number is some 3% or something in terms of like professional now. Yeah. And I mean, that was a thing that was in my mind and we talked about it, but honestly, there were a decent amount of audio engineering teachers. So that was nice because they Mm -hmm. definitely like find the women and they're like, what's up? What are we doing? You know? Um, And then also I didn't really have a problem. The only thing that I think got me kind of in my head was that a lot of the, a lot of people who go to Berkeley go later in life. So they're like, they've left, they left high school. They went, went to undergrad maybe even. And Mm -hmm. then they're like there at 25. And I was, I went to Berkeley at 17. Yeah. I was 17 and like, I turned 18, like my first week there. And so, you know what I mean? That's the only thing Like these people have like Mm. worked in studios. They have all the gear, they have money to buy more gear. So like they give you like a laptop and this is part of your tuition, but like they give you a laptop and they give you a little M box. So you have a little interface and they give you pro tools. So like but these dudes were coming in with, you know, like, uh, like plugins and like extra, like they had their, some, some guys had their own home studios in their apartment, you know, and that stuff costs a lot yeah. of money. And I didn't even know to do that, you know? So anyway, 
mm-hmm. my mind, I said, I'm not going to go to school for performance. So like Berkeley, you have to perform a bit. You have to have a, an instrument. So I went for voice. You have to do a certain amount of lessons. You have to do a certain amount of ensemble. So I did sing. I did perform, but it wasn't my focus. Like I was a total studio rat. I worked in the studio office. I would always, because I worked in the studio office, I would always book like the 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. slot when no one else wanted it. I work on like my remix project. And then I graduated and I went to New York, like I said, right away. And I went to studios. It took me a while to even get into a studio because I was so scared. And I just was like, no, I don't want to really do this, which is crazy. <laughs> and and like part of it was, I will say like a lot of like a lot of my friends were going into the big studios and those studios were closing. This is 2007. This is like the end of analog consoles. This was the end of major studios. Like everything was starting to be in the box in your home. That was the beginning of it. It was like <laughs> when I started my career it was like when everybody was right. like, oh, we can do this from home. So it was like kind of a nightmare time to start up a uh, career in audio engineering. And also I was scared. I was a woman. I was a black woman. And like when you do go to those big studios, you're a runner for years. And those, like I said, studios were closing. So um, it was just like mm. I was there. I was in New York for like a year and a half. And I just I worked in a couple of studios as like an intern. And I was like a space bar girl is what they call it. You know, you're just kind of like sitting there like, um, you know, like, hey, can you we're going to record. <laughs> and I would work with people who were songwriting, which you've written songs like these people, like a lot of R&B artists will write songs and record at the same time. and you're just sitting there basically watching somebody write a song, which of course for a songwriter is torture. And so I left. Um, I, there was, there's other things in between, but yeah, I left New York after a little while. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. yeah, that was the trajectory in the very beginning. I don't know if you like, <laughs> we can fast forward or whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's really helpful to, to be able to produce your own music. I think to, in, you know, in today's world is so important. So obviously you, you're, ahead of the game with then many people having to just figure out garage band and do a track here and there and whatever and just just for the sake of it before you can kind of go into a studio but going into a studio the few that there are can be ridiculously expensive and you often don't have the cash to do it people people do release music literally made in their bedrooms and living rooms and it, it can do well like if you if you know what you're doing it can certainly do well mm-hmm. i mean this whole pandemic that's what i've been doing Exactly. <laughs> there's no, there's literally, I mean, there's no shame in it. And I think there, I feel like there probably was a lot of shame in that before. I think it was like, there was a point when it was niche, like, oh my God, you know, so-and-so made this whole album, even like, mm. oh, Bonnie Bear went to the woods and created an album or, you know what I mean? That's still like, you know, it's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of, you know, there's a moment for things like, right. Oh, Chance the Rapper, he's unsigned. He did all, he had all this success. Right. right. So there's like a moment for those things. And then it passes. So there's like this moment before where it's like, you made that where? Then there's a moment where it's like, yo, this person won a Grammy with their home album. And then it's a moment when everybody's doing it. So it's like you have to find those moments in history. Yeah. Or there's got to be some gimmick about it. Like, oh, I did this with one mic in one living room. Or exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, um, thank you for for sharing that. That's it's an interesting perspective. I certainly don't get to hear from that many female producers and certainly fewer even like black female producers. So it's definitely a niche that you're in. Um, but I do want to just as we as we wrap up. Um, so you've recently uh, got picked up by Ulta Beauty for an ad sync, which is exciting. <laughs> um, congratulations. Thank you. So what is next for you? So you've moved out to L.A. Mm-hmm. You know, are you still the, the pandemic is still on? So it's it's kind of hard to find your way on the scene in a in an IRL. Hashtag yes. IRL sense. Yes. So <laughs> what, how are you? Uh, how are you doing that? And, and what's the, the plan as and when? The world resumes. 
Yeah, I mean, my next thing is I'm producing my own project, a five-song EP as of right now. It'll be five songs. Um, And it's funny, imposter syndrome is a bitch because I'm like over here, like with a whole ass degree from Berkeley, worried about producing my own thing because for so many years I've been you know, kind of lending my voice to projects. And even if it's a co-write, it's still me handing things over to someone, right? Mm -hmm. So now I'm in this process where I'm recording songs that were written a little while ago and grabbing the files, like project managing everything, organizing like players and all this stuff. And it's super fun, but it's like, I'm paying for it because it's like, it's, you know what I mean? Like it's, I'm, I'm somebody who likes to be, in charge, but I've just realized that for so many years, I have just been like, oh, here are the vocal files, right? Or here's the song, or here's the scratch guitar track, right? Right. You're directing. And now, now I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, so like even today, I was talking to my good friend, I don't know if you know Christine Cruda of Little Cruta. Yep. Um, she's, she's doing a string arrangement on one of my songs that I'm really excited about. And I just like love her dearly and um, just being able to work with her and being able to kind of like take control of that situation and be like, like at the helm is really yeah. exciting because the last project we did was the Metallica album that was all strings. And that was really cool. But even then it's like, I walk in, I sing and I leave, you know, get, put some like fake lashes on and you go. Right. <laughs> um, there's like a video component or whatever. Uh-huh. And now it's like, okay, cool. Like I'm organizing, I've, I've, I've hired an arranger and like now I'm organizing studio time and it's really fun. Cause it, I was telling my roommate that it reminds me of being back at Berkeley, like it almost feels like a school project as opposed to like, you know, because I just haven't. And even when I was at Berkeley, I produced like friends, like I didn't really produce myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And so this is like a full band project and I'm really nervous, but really excited. So that's kind of the next thing for me. Um, and then we talked about this earlier, but I have a wildfire that we listened to was is in the uploaded contest. That was supposed to be in Dublin, but it's not. And that's on Thursday. And I'm sure by the time this airs, it'll be long gone. But um, yeah, like just things like that, kind of getting myself into like uh, putting myself out there for competitions and, mm-hmm. you know, um, all that stuff. And, and in terms of the L.A. scene, it's really funny because I've been co-writing and collaborating with people out here. And it's like we could have done this, guys. We've been, in, <laughs> we've been in, in lockdown for a year, but people really will respond to you being in a different geographic location. Yeah. So like. I've been co-writing with a couple of guys for sync work and um, I've been trying to work on some, some deals out here that like are not finished. So like, I'm not going to speak on them too much, but like, um, it's just interesting because like people will t- say that to me. They'll be like, Oh yeah. Like the, they're LA based. It shouldn't really matter, but it does. Cause you're here. And it's just like so funny because just me moving my body out here, even though I have not seen anybody barely has changed who I'm in touch with. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what will happen when, you know, venues open back up, like, and, and I get to see the scene. And like, I'm sure it's similar to New York where a lot of places are not going to open back up. Yeah, I know. I'm this, I'm, I'm wearing my t-shirt very, very hopefully. If you are listening to this podcast, I'm yeah. wearing a Rockwood Musical t-shirt. How are they doing? They seem to be doing really well. I think they've, you know, from what I've seen and the way that they have pivoted, I think they've done a wonderful job, you know, having people come and do live shows at stage two. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, that's, they're only really able to do one show a night. So yeah, it's, it's a shame and it, it really breaks my heart. And I, I played the 15 year anniversary in last February. Mm, Did you play it as well? No, I think my friend Freddie played it though. Yeah. I remember like, I remember, I remember being hurt. I was like, all these people, I've been playing Rockwood for years, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, a few weeks later we were shot. 
And it was, and you know, and the show that we were planning on doing was a Rockwood, and it, you know, it's stage three and all, and which is one of my favorite stages. It's super intimate. It's, it's. Yeah, that was my last show. Was at Rockwood stage three. Yeah, in January. It's a brilliant venue. There are very few venues, I think, in New York where you can hear live original music and hear it in a in an intimate setting. You know, there's there's Joe's Pub, which I mean, it's a bit bigger, but you still kind of get that intimate feel to it. The City Winery, which is a bit bigger, but you kind of it does feel quite intimate. It's but. Rockwood three is super intimate. Like you could, I've seen some of my favorite artists and like, it's just what 55 seat capacity. And you just like, you're like packed in there and you're so up, like up close and personal. And it's just, it's such a unique experience and I have everything crossed and I, I believe in them as a venue and I, I hope it pans out. That would be wild if they, we would really have some feelings if they close because yeah. Yeah everybody's got to play Rockwood. You know, it's your rite of passage as a New York City musician to the point where people are like (laughs) sick of it. They're like, oh, Rockwood. Like we go to the same three venues every Friday night. But, you know, that's kind of (laughs) the the problem with New York in that so many original music venues have closed and people want butts and seats Mm -hmm. and butts and seats Mm -hmm. are going to be covers bands, you know, Mm -hmm. in Irish pubs. And like, it's killing it. It's killing the scene. We're praying for you, Rockwood. (laughs) Yes, we are. Let's, Let's end on an up note. Esabalu, mm-hmm. it has been a pleasure to talk with you. Likewise, Stevie. Thank you. I'm so sorry it's taken so long, but I needed a break. I had to say no. Yes. Oh, another parallel. To- yes. <laughs> I needed to step back and now I'm like super excited for this podcast and I'm able to kind of plan things a bit better and have more meaningful conversations with people that I have wanted to have conversations with. So thank you so much for, for joining me and uh, opening up to me. I, I appreciate it. And I wish you all the best in your your new L.A. home. Thank you. This is awesome. (laughs) I'll speak to you soon. Esabalu. Wow. (laughs) I mean, I really took so much from that discussion. Go and follow her on Spotify. Go and follow her on Spotify, Esabalu, E-S-A-B-A-L-U, and on Instagram, Esabalu Music. Those details are, of course, in the show notes. She is a force and her music is so beautiful and thoughtful. I hope you are now a fan. If you want to watch the full interview with Esabalu, I post the videos exclusively to our Facebook group, This Next Song's About Dash Inner Circle, ahead of the podcast being published. So I hope you'll join the group and connect with me there. The link is in the show notes, and you can watch her music video in that post as well. I'm Stevie Manns. Thank you for listening to This Next Song's About. I will be back next week with another great artist for you. So make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>